Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 15. When it comes to the issue of prayer, there's a lot of confusion, isn't there? You know, I'd heard a a story of a pastor. I don't know, there's always these stories of pastors running around. But it was a story of a pastor who played hooky on Sunday morning. And it was a real lesson for me early on in the ministry not to play hooky on Sunday morning. But he played hooky because he was a great hunter. And he had got a draw and had gone out hunting for bear. And in the process of his hunting, he shot at a big, huge grizzly bear and just nicked it. And the grizzly turned and and headed right back toward him, just bared teeth, just bearing down on him as fast as he could with all the ferocity of of an animal of that power being nicked by this guy. And he began to shake and and his, his gun jammed. And immediately the bear was on top of him and he overwhelmed him and he lay on the ground. And the, the preacher began to pray, Lord, Lord, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And the bear looked down with teeth, smiling, Big, big, big teeth. And then looked up to heaven and said, Thank you, Lord, for that which I'm about to receive. (laughs) Prayers can be confusing because so oftentimes prayer is reduced for us as a moment of panic in our life, isn't it? Oh, Lord, help me. I, I need help right now. There's a situation going on. And, and, and Lord, please just help me. And I'll, I'll, do, I'll, I'll go to church. I promise I will witness to all of my friends. I'll give the rest of the money that I already spent in my bank account. And, uh, Lord, when, when I make a million, I'll give you, you know, uh, what I normally do. And then you just go on. You make these deals with God because there's some moment in time that is just beckoning you to call upon the resources of heaven. Well, in in a sense, that's good. Because it recognizes for us that we are in constant state of dependence on God. We would recognize that. Sometimes we, we parade ourselves around as humans like little bandy roosters as if we own the world. But then something strikes, a tragedy or a trial, and immediately we call upon the throne of heaven. It's a great reminder for us. But prayer is something greater. And in this passage, it goes much deeper. Now, as you read through this, I know many of you are thinking... Dave, would you please clear up this passage? Because I don't know if you know this. I mean, I won't tell many people, but I will tell you. I've prayed a lot of prayers, and they didn't come to pass. So as I read this passage, one or two things is going on. Either this passage isn't true, or I'm praying all wrong. And it's that type of misconception that I think uh, the Scripture will clearly uh, clean up for us tonight. Look with me again at verse 13. These things, John said, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The word here that is used for eternal is a Greek word that means a life that has no 
beginning or no end. In fact, it is the word that is typically always used in connection with God himself. In fact, we could say that this is God's life. God is the one who has no beginning and no end. He is the one who truly has eternity. Now, we know that eternity has been set in our hearts, but yet there was a point in time where we were born and we became a living soul. We became a human. But in that process, we really existed long before in the mind of God but not in actuality. God only has this life. And he says, I'm writing you these things so that you know with confidence the life that you have with God. The word there for know means an experiential knowledge that really understands that you now and I are a part of eternity, not because of ourselves, but because we're connected to eternity with God himself. It's his life lived in us. And he says that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. Verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. This phrase here that speaks of the confidence that we have in him. I love the way that William Barclay stated it. The word here that is used for confidence means a deep, abiding understanding and belief in God himself. And in the case of prayer and approaching God, it is freedom of speech. You know, freedom of speech is something that we value and we place on a high shelf in this country, don't we? I mean, you know what? You can take away a meal a day. You can take away the the gas prices. But whatever you do, buddy, don't take away my right of freedom of speech. I have the right to just stand and speak on the, the corner. It's in the Constitution. It's my right as an American. Well, what he's stating here is that it's not only your right as a believer, but because of the position that God has placed you in, You don't necessarily have the right, but you have the ability that has been bestowed upon you that you can have confidence and freedom of speech before God. That's a very beautiful statement. And it applies something that is the first thing that we need to note in prayer. The implication here is that if God will give you and I freedom of speech to talk to him, that must mean, first of all, that God wants to hear my voice. God wants to hear not only my voice, but your voice. God has opened up a relationship in such a way that now you and I, as beloved children in relationship and family, are able to come to Him with confidence, with boldness, as the Scripture says, and freely speak our hearts and minds to God. Now, you may say, well, good, David, I know all about that. Well, think about this for a moment. Any of you have any famous people that you admire? I'm sure you do. Some of you sports fans, some of you movie fans or politicians or whatever the case may be. But I know that there are people that if you had a chance to meet them, boy, you would be right there. Imagine, think of the most famous person you know the person that you would like to talk to most, and you're walking down the street one day, and the person sees you, you see them, and they look at you and say, hey, aren't you so-and-so? And you say, 
Well, yes, I am. How do you know me? Well, I've been wanting to talk for you to you forever. I've known a lot of things about you. I think that you're really neat. In fact, if you'd like to, we could stop over in this cafe and we could really get to know each other. Now, when you put it in that perspective, you say, whoa, that would be awesome. I have had moments. I've dreamed about those things. That is exactly the privilege and the confidence that has been given to us with God. Hey, buddy, I know who you are. In fact, I sent my son to die for you, and I want to spend time with you, and I've prepared a place for us to meet together. That is the confidence of knowing that God wants us to speak to him and to have relationship with him. All right, tonight we'll cover just three prerequisites that I see for real, effective prayer. Keep your finger here and look with me in... The Gospel of John, turn back to your left, John chapter 15. And we'll look at verse 7. The first prerequisite that we see here in verse 7 of John chapter 15 is this. It's a conditional clause preceded with the big if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. First prerequisite that we see in this passage of scripture is that of abiding. And we've talked about abiding before. It is the Greek word meno, which means to dwell with richly or to take up residence with or to live in the same household with. That's the idea is that the first prerequisite is that somehow the relationship that you and I have with God must be characterized by a living, abiding relationship. A few things to note about a living, abiding relationship. First of all, the relationship that is spoken of here is a relationship of family and being born of God. That's why Jesus talks about to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. We were spiritually dead, born into God's family, and now there is a real connected familial relationship, a new birth, a real way to respond to God. But secondly, abiding implies intimacy. In John, the same chapter, verse 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what the master is doing, but I have called you Friends, for all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He calls us friends. There is real intimacy. In our world, there is this intense desire for relationship and intimacy. It's now, it's interesting that over the internet, a place where all you hear is a little click, click, and you read words, and you have no real idea who the other person is on the other end. But chat rooms have developed all over the world. Various forms, various reasons why. And people, once again, trying to connect with each other. All over the world. Telephone. Tell a friend. However you may do it. But the human heart is constantly putting its feelers out and searching for real Intimate relationship. And what I'm saying by intimate is having a relationship with somebody that really knows who you are. When you abide with Christ, when you spend time with Him, He knows exactly who you are. Now, because He's God, He already knows, but there is an experiential knowledge that, that you have bore your heart out to Him. You've spoken with Him. You've gone through the hard times together. And in that, there is this intimate relationship that knows that it knows. 
Abiding also implies openness, and I would call this health. It's the state of being naked before God. I, today, went to the dentist. It seems to be my plight in life. I cannot avoid the dentist. They come at me with their pointy objects and their steely knives from every direction. Now this, you may feel just a little bit pressure, Dave, here. Uh, But I go for my teeth cleaning today. And it's really kind of an unnerving thing to walk into an office, to lay your head back, look into one of those interrogation lights that they have there. And I happen to know everybody on staff. Half of them go to this church. And so whenever I open my mouth and bear all of my sins... Well, how you doing, Pastor Dave? Oh, we're pretty good, you know. I, I, have you been flossing lately? Oh, oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Is that really sharp? Oh, yes, sir. Um, just the sweetest hygienist goes to this fellowship, and, and it's really great. But I, I feel like, what must be going through her mind as she's looking in my mouth? You know? Oh, crunch, 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 crunch. But I know in order for there to be health, I have to bear it all. You know, I have to just say, here it is. And and in real abiding relationship with God, there's a sense that says, okay, Lord, warts and all, plaque and all, uh, get out the sharp instrument because this is who I am. And in that, there is health emotionally, spiritually for you and I in abiding with God. Because as we abide with Him, He reveals where those hard issues are and He works extra on them. I mean, oh man, she had a tooth today. I thought she was digging all the way to the top of my brain. And uh, she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm I'm fine. It it didn't hurt. But I said, you know, you're very thorough. (laughs) I think she's great. I'm going back. In six months, so no disparaging thoughts. But that's a part of abiding with God, is that revealing of your inner heart and character. Second prerequisite is in John chapter 15, verse 16. Look there with me. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Abiding in Christ, but secondly, the prerequisite is in his name. Now, that does not necessarily mean, Lord, please just give me every wish that I ever wanted. Everything that I, all the hair that I can imagine for, and all the good friends, and good luck, and uh, I'm going to go to the casino tomorrow night, so I really want to be really lucky. In Jesus' name. (laughs) And I said Jesus' name, so it actually, it's going to work. You know, because that's the magic name. I mean, maybe in some other culture it would be, beam, beam, salavim. You know. (laughs) We do that as Christians. Now, It is a good practice to end every request, every petition with God in Jesus' name. But it actually means something much more. It means in the power and ability of Jesus Christ. First of all, it means in the power and the ability of Jesus Christ. Father, as I come to you, I don't come on my own merits. 
I don't come on my own ability, my own accord, my own righteousness, but I am here based upon the clout, based upon the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done in my life. And I am here on that basis. So as we approach his throne, we recognize that it's his ability, not our own. Well, you know, Lord, I I did some bad things. And I know that you probably won't listen to me. And you're probably listening to the better people's prayer. But I figured I might as well try in Jesus' name, you know. No, it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has more to do with his power. Secondly, as we look at his name, it has to do with his character. If you're going to say a prayer and you're going to ask God something in Jesus' name, it had better be in keeping with his character and his nature. As you read through the New Testament, as you read through Scripture, it's pretty easy to find out the nature and character of God, the very nature and character of Jesus. What did he do? He went about doing good things. He was loving. He was kind. He self-sacrificed on behalf of others. He was forgiving. He was just. And it goes, list goes on and on and on. And the more that you understand about who he is and his nature and everything about him, our prayers, if we're going to pray it and be effective in Jesus' name, it has to be in keeping with who he is. If you know that someone has an amazing talent and ability that is unique, and they're really good at this particular thing, say maybe cliff diving or something random like that. Well, if you go to that person and say, well, if you're good at that, maybe you're good at this other thing too. And then you say, I'd like to take you out skeet shooting. And then they don't do very good. And you wonder why. Now, I know that that's probably not a great example. That will, I'll probably never use that one again. But to say this, it's really tough bombing publicly, especially when you're talking about the scriptures. But as we move on, I'll just say this. Jesus is not going to go outside of his own nature to please you. Jesus will not go beyond who he is just to satisfy your immediate want and desire. The reason is, is that he's an all-knowing, all-loving God, and he always wants the best and highest for you. The problem is we don't always know what the best and the highest is. Therefore, as we read through Scripture, we pray for understanding so that we would understand what his will is, what his nature is, and who he is. Turn with me back to... 1 John chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 14, and we'll see the third prerequisite. The third prerequisite is this, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. It's according to His will and His mission. Now, beginning early prayers really have more to do with our will than anything else. Wouldn't you say? And the most frustrating element of our prayers is that every time I seem to ask God something, He's not doing what I ask Him to do. And we use our own logic, which oftentimes works against us in day-to-day living. 
Because if God really loved me, then surely God would want this for me because this is the best for me. And if God wants the best for me, then this must be God's will. Therefore, he wants to answer this prayer. Hallelujah, I'm going to praise him for it. But then it doesn't come about. And then you're left stuck with this sense of, are my prayers hitting the ceiling in my room? Lord, where are you? Are you listening to me? I cried out to you. I know that this is the very best thing. I came home one day to a crying house. Eight years old, and I've told many of you before. My father had passed away. And as an eight-year-old boy, my understanding was that, God, this seems to be the worst thing ever. And I've shared this with few people, but in my heart, I, I went over to a corner and I began to cry. And I said, Lord, would you raise him up? I, I know that you can do it. You're, you're all powerful. You're an amazing God. But you know, he didn't do it. Now, to my eight-year-old mind, it brought a level of confusion. But in maturity and growing, as I began to grow and realize that God's ways are beyond my own ways. God's thoughts are beyond my own thoughts. And His will and purpose for me may not always necessarily be that visible and ready, readily accessible to me at that moment. But I've come to know and trust That his will is perfect. His will for you and I is absolutely perfect. Now, praying according to his will requires a few things. First of all, it requires that you and I surrender. At some point, we have to give up our will and our mind begins to turn from getting God to do what we want on earth... Lord, my will be done in heaven, just like it is in my own mind. That's not what the scripture says. Thy will, it starts up here, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ah, there's a key. We begin to surrender to the fact that God is the sovereign hand of the universe. And so as I begin to approach him, I approach in humility and surrender to his will, coming before him, asking, bearing petitions, not necessarily knowing what that is. But at the same time, my heart and my will have submitted itself to God saying, Lord, I understand that your will is absolutely perfect. Absolutely the best. And I know my own heart is struggling with it, but I surrender to you and ask that your spirit speak to me now so that I begin to see as you see. And I begin to experience the mind of my God and my creator. And I am transformed in this moment with you as I surrender to who you are. My friends, that is the heart of real prayer. Understanding and knowing and seeking His will. If we ask anything according to His will, it shall be done. Not only is it a matter of surrender and humility, but it's a matter of obedience. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 
tells us that it's a part of this is keeping his commandments. A part of this is being willing to obey him in situations that are hard, that go far beyond anything that I'd really want to be obedient to before. But you submit yourself to him and say, oh, Lord, you are the ruler. You are the captain here. And I humbly submit myself to your will. And I will obey by your power and your grace and your ability. And my friends, that's when the whole prayer tide begins to turn the other way. Because your mind and my mind and our hearts are set upon the priorities of heaven. Our mind is filled with the priority of this book. Our minds are set upon God's will and ability and his love for others, not just ourselves. That's when the power and the effectiveness really comes into play. All right. Not only is there surrender, humility, and obedience... But there is repentance. A great portion of doing things according to God's will is constantly realigning ourselves in repenting of our sins and committing ourselves once again to God. Denying self leads to maturity. It does it every time. It's just a basic principle. Constantly indulging yourself leads to destruction and more immorality and immaturity. You ever heard the term? Look at that spoiled kid. How did they get spoiled? The parents denying them? No, they got spoiled because no one denied them anything. You know, sometimes when God says no, it's the very best. Sometimes when he says no, it leads us to maturity in a way that we have never experienced before. Dying to self leads to maturity. It is not focused on self, but focused on others. All right, here's three practical steps, and then we'll move into actual praying with each other before the Lord. The first step is you need a place. There are private prayers and public prayers. And the best place to start is a location. There should be a spot in your life, a location on planet earth, where you and I meet privately with God. What does he say in Matthew chapter 6? Go into your closet and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly before all men. In the secret place, literally the phrase there speaks of the treasure of your heart. Go privately. You and I should have a place every day where we meet with God. Where we openly say, oh, he's the most famous person I know. I've always wanted to, Lord, do you have a minute? Oh, yes, I do. Can we meet? Yes, we'll meet right over here. And I'll pray with you. And I'll speak with you. And we'll talk together. And you can bear your heart. And you can share everything. And health flows out of that relationship. Not only private prayers, but there's public prayers. There should be a time when we meet together as a body of Christ, loving one another, petitioning our God, praying in unity, forcefully together with each, with each other. Not only do we need a time, but there should secondly be a place. Uh, I mean a place, but a time, excuse me. There should be a time set aside for devotion. There's a prime for devotion, but there's also time to pray without ceasing. Throughout the day, there should be little marks on your watch, little marks in your mind or your Microsoft Outlook, however you want to do that, where 
you know that it's once again time to seek the Lord and to spend time with Him. But there is also the idea that our life is in constant communication and devotion. There are times when you don't have time to pull over, pull your Bible out, put a little prayer shawl over your head and kind of lean over and pray in the ditch. Sometimes you're just driving down the Lord. Oh, Lord, help my attitude. I can't believe what I'm thinking right now. There's a, there's a sense that we have a boldness and a freedom of speech to be in constant communication with the living God. It's to be taken advantage of. Okay, place, time, and finally, a heart. The heart of the believer is a heart that is focused on the Lord. He's not only focused on the Lord and His will, but there is a joy that comes from knowing Him. That we gather great joy and comfort in knowing the living God and experiencing our time with Him, and it becomes precious to us. My wife and I, we spend early mornings with each other. And the kids are in bed, and we sneak out of the house. Well, if we have kids here now, they know the cat's out of the bag, but... It's just, it's precious to just be alone together, but it's even more precious to be with God. There should be joy associated with that. And then finally, the heart of God is a heart of brokenness. There should be a time of brokenness in your heart, brokenness about your own spiritual reality at times, the the brokenness about the sin in the world and the lost who are around you. There should be a sense that our, our heart is so enlarged, it reaches beyond our own little life into the lives of the people around us, into the very heart of the world. I don't know about you, but my mind is right now is set on the, on the Middle East. Any of you guys know what's going on over there? I have friends who uh, live in Beirut, believers, who love the Lord, and I've called around to, to see, find out how they're doing, and I haven't heard a report yet. But my heart goes out as I see people huddled. My heart goes out for the nation of Israel. My heart it, it begins to ache for the world, and I say, Oh, Lord, come quickly. Lord, help us reach out to a world that desperately needs you. In brokenness, it is a heart of of openness to God. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.